Welcome to the Don't Die Podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Chuck. That's the real theme of it. Thank dying. you, Bob. I always forget. She never says stop dying, Mike. But then it probably it's probably it's probably some subconscious thing where uh, it, like it Mike is. Mike Mart is like a cockroach. Like if he didn't die <laughs> in nineteen eighty five no, he's like Keith Richards. If he didn't die in nineteen eighty five, he's not gonna die. Cause the guy oh, okay. was shooting guns while in a blackout drunk shooting heroin. Yeah. And it was just another day, Chuck. It was just another day for Mike Mark. That yeah, and day. Mike Mike called that Tuesday. I still had <laughs> P I still have PTSD from that day. Like, you know, when you hear like bad things that happened in in young people's lives, like, oh, like I live by Mount Baldy, so you always hear, oh, these teenagers, they drove up to Mount Baldy late at night and they got drunk and were making out and they went off the cliff. You hear you hear all these things that young people do crazy things. Mike Mart was doing crazy things on an hour by hour basis <laughs> and nothing and nothing bad happened. Did I ever tell you about the time <laughs> I was sitting on the side on, you know, like when you could ride in the back of a truck and not get arrested, right? <laughs> you could ride in the back of a pickup truck. So I was up on the wheel well, had this big half gallon of wine and uh, I took this big giant slug off of this bottle of wine and whoever was driving turned this corner and i fell right out of the truck (laughs) and uh i just rolled i rolled about three times and then i just because i had all my leathers on my punk rock leathers but i had the bottle of wine in my hand it wasn't broken and i just jumped up and went yeah That was Mike Mart, Chuck, in a nutshell. That so, okay. yeah, the idea that Mike Mart's going to die is, is impossible. But our, but our clients and, right. and like, normal people die. And Chuck, yeah. you're, you're a normal person, and Mike's like a Keith Richards offspring. <laughs> okay. And the normal co-host and the Keith Richards producer. There and we I are. think until we did this podcast, Mike hadn't met hardly anybody that died of drugs. I mean, that's the one thing that I think we're trying to get the message out. If you're going like Mike's life the last 30 years, if you're just like living your life, raising your kids, doing your job and going to AA, you don't really notice that hundreds of thousands of people are dying. Yeah, I I was shocked in AA how, you know, you know, that old saying, well, some of us have to die. So some of us can live and all that. Like, Dude, there's tens of thousands of little kids dying. They're like 20 years old. And I just yeah. found this, this, this like, this wool po- pulled over AA people's eyes that I, I was kind of really angry about for a while, probably in like, I don't know, 2005, 2006. Like it was as if they were oblivious to the genocide that was happening in America. Yeah. And they're the ones supposed to be helping it. Huh. Right? Yeah. yeah and I but think, those I think kids... you, you got to admit, Mike, you, you got to admit, you didn't really know death like me and Chuck knew death until you, until we started doing this podcast. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. You know, you're right. I just, yeah, uh, but, but in their defense, those kids probably showed up to an AA meeting and mentioned drugs. So they had to throw them out. 
No, they didn't do that. <laughs> I've seen so many old timers. No way. Has he? Have you really? I've, I've seen. Been... I've seen. I've seen old timers say, "You know what? Hey, this is a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous." And Where? What? What part of Southern California? Because I've been to oh, the. They do it, that, Bob. That log cabin on. Lo- on Laguna Beach, if the you, road I can't, that goes. I can't believe you've never heard that. Well, that no, I used to hear. To it. I used to hear it back in the old days, but I haven't heard it in ten years. I haven't. Really I don't think it. you've been to a meeting in ten years. Have you? <laughs> yes, I have. I go to where the progressive people are open-minded. <laughs> okay, is that the name of the meeting? The progressive open-minded meeting people. <laughs> I know. We did have. Like, well, what is that one uh, at Tropical on Saturdays? What's it called? open-mindedness with something yeah no you know in the hollywood strip group the hollywood strip groups like that nobody's going to tell you you can't share about you know but if you yeah i guess if i i just i just don't go to those types of meetings where there's old grumpy people i guess no no and and i don't i don't either but i know they're out there that's why i tell people to not give up if you get to a meeting and you don't feel welcomed and you don't feel the 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 brotherhood the sisterhood there then just go to another one because they're all well, I think, different i think in southern california it's pretty probably pretty hard to get kicked out for talking about drugs i can tell you a funny story i was in nashville in 1991 um trying to i don't know what i was doing there i was trying to write songs and but mostly i was just drinking at this bar in the restaurant of the hotel um and hanging out in Nashville and going out at night. But it, it, but um, but before I started drinking, I was sober when I went there to work on the record. Then I got relapsed. And, but I had started going to this meeting. And I they picked me to share after like a week. And, uh, you know, I talked about drugs. You know, I'm really I'm here and I'm working and I'm har- far from home. And I don't have my friends around me. And it gets pretty weird. And I hear the people having fun drinking, almost like in the big book of AA. Um, you know, in the book where Bill was at that hotel. And mm-hmm. that's what it was like living in this hotel. And eventually I did start drinking in that bar. So, and I'm telling them, but really, you know, my brain tells me heroin's your problem. You know, alcohol's not your problem. And it's just really a newcomer sharing, right? Mm-hmm. At, at the after at the break, these two old timers come up to me, and and it was nice. They were like no, southern gentlemen types, but I was in no mood for southern gentlemen's, you know, telling me what to do. So they came up to me, and they had the NA pamphlet, you know, the NA meetings uh-huh. in Nashville, yeah. and they said. Yacht might have wanted to check out some of these meetings. And I said, I looked at it and I said, I don't like NA. And the guy pushed it into my hand and said, well, maybe you'd, you'd feel more comfortable at, at the NA. And I said, fuck you guys. I said, fuck you. Right. And I walked back inside the meeting. Right. Because you can't get thrown out. No. What are they going to do? Lead you? No, out? but like, okay. So like the, the reason I, I stopped going to the, the Costa Mesa Solano club a long time ago was for that very reason was there was a guy who uh, sat down at a, at an early, it was like a daytime AA and he started off with, I'm an addict and no one in the room thought to give him the, you know, the cue that you give somebody in that, 
is do you have a desire to stop drinking? And if they say yes, you know, you just continue. It's a closed meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. Yes, you have a desire to stop drinking. Great. Doesn't matter how you identify. You can identify as a giraffe. But you know, as long as you have a desire to stop drinking. And he got pissed off when they told him addicts can't share. And he threw his, he had a big old bottle of Snapple and he threw it at the wall. And it has brick walls in that place. And yeah, it broke yeah, everywhere. It was walls, a big so. deal. Cool. Was, I think that's and I, cool. And I go, I like he, that. He go, fuck this place and fuck you guys. And I was like, man, somebody stop him. That guy's going to go get loaded. Right. And, and, and so. Uh, yeah, everybody, our primary, what's our primary purpose again? What's our stay primary sober, purpose? Stay sober and help, help another alcoholic to achieve sobriety. Oh, I thought it was to stay sober and brag about being sober. Oh, I, I got it wrong. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was talk about, I thought it was stay sober and talk about how great you are. Is that what it is? And kick people out of the meeting. <laughs> yep. Don't forget We're that. We're talking guy. about drugs. But, you know, I, but no, I, I do. I do understand that if if you've never drank, you probably want to go to an NA meeting so you can hear your story, so you can relate, so you can relate to the story. Because I know at the beginning it was important to feel like I was a part of. That's why it's the what it was yeah, like, what happened, what it's like Eskimo, now. But if you had an Eskimo, it's that Eskimo. Like I never questioned going to NA. My my best friend, my best friends were in AA mm -hmm. uh, at that time. It was Brendan Mullen. Um, you know, uh, Don Bowles and, and, and a lot of people that I really looked up to were sober in AA. So right away I started going to AA. Like, of course I'm a heroin addict, but who cares? It's all the same thing. Yeah, and I don't know if that's because, you know, I don't, I don't know. I just, the people that introduced me to AA were all drug addicts, but yeah, they identified as alcoholics. It wasn't that complicated. It really right. wasn't as complicated as nowadays. You all see what you're sounding like is this political correctness. Oh, you have to find your thing. No, you found me and I'm going to introduce you to what's working for me. All right. Because, because sending you off to NA without, without me, when I don't go to it, you know, I, I've introduced thousands of heroin addicts to AA and that's transformed their lives. And, and some people want to stick to some old religious doctrine. It's just weird to me. It's really weird to me. No, but that's, dude, you just said something, and I, this is going to take it totally off track, because you just said Don Bowles. And last night we were watching on YouTube, because we don't have regular uh, TV anymore, um, the presidential stuff. How cool is it to see a germ on TV? Uh, I know. Pete Weiss mentioned that today, too. <laughs> How that, cool. Uh, I just love uh, Dave. I love Dave Grohl too. He's just such a good guy. I mean, he, he sure seems to be, huh? He really uh, is such that you know. And Pat jumping around and yeah, it's, it, that was very uplifting. I mean, even if you don't like politics, that was a pretty cool thing. Yeah, I just I was only watching because the the music. Well, I heard there was going to be a lot of music. I came home and it was on, and I got home kind of late, and Bug was digging it, and it's just like. Amy, I go, how cool to see a germ on TV? And she goes, is that like the um, Barack Obama looking guy? Because he looked kind of old. <laughs> he, does like, have a Barack, he does have a Barack Obama haircut. <laughs> yeah, he's the germ. <laughs> he's the germ. So let, let me, uh, you know, it's just crazy. One of the things I learned yesterday through all that, somebody said something very interesting, which was America is the battle between cynicism and hope. 
I love that line. It is the battle between cynicism and hope. And the cynicism switches every four years, kind of, right? Yeah. <laughs> whoever, wins, whoever wins, the other side is cynical then, and mm -hmm. the new side is hopeful. And then it just right. switches back. And it just goes from this cynicism to hopefulness. And why can't we all be in hope for, like, at least a week? Can't we overlap hope a week? <laughs> Does it have to immediately polarize to cynicism and hope, right? Yeah, and I just... I, I hope that some, I hope, I, I'd like to think that a lot of people, they're just the ones that aren't as vocal because I was as hopeful when Trump started, when a lot of people were losing it as I am right now. I got to be hopeful, man. I, it's just, in, I guess it's in my nature, but I got to believe that things are going to be okay. The world's not going to end once again, like everybody's saying. It, who knows? If, they, if it does, it'll be of something like COVID. But the but, war is of cynicism. Right. The war is cynicism. I like that. That's a good analogy. And we and and so how do you not be cynical when you're not your guys not your you know your team's not in charge, right? Why can't it be supportive? Like whatever's whatever good happens happens to us all. You know what I mean? You would think that COVID would have everybody, you know, on the same page, right? Because I'm the one people turn to a lot when they're scared. And a lot of people tell me, you know, I don't talk about it with my wife or I don't talk about it with anybody. But, you know, I'm really scared of getting this thing and being really sick and dying. Like, that's, that's what everybody's feeling, I think. But nobody acts like they are. Right? right. Well, yeah. That 1% or that less than 1%, that's where I usually fall when as far as it comes to luck. <laughs> So, yeah, that didn't count me out, but I, I got my microchip. Um, I got my first microchip on uh, yeah, Monday. Yeah, I, I got mine, yeah, last Tuesday. Hey, hey, um, you know, now, I, I, so you get the Moderna or the, or the Pfizer? Moderna. Yeah, so it's 28 days after that, you know. Right, February so 15th. Mine, mine's February 12th, yeah. So, yes. so I'm, I'm, like, already nervous, like, what if I can't get a, what if I can't get an appointment? What if they don't have any more <laughs> vaccines left? Right. Like, right. What if the and dealer I, runs but, out? But I, I truly believe these <laughs> yep. half the people that are 40% of the people that say they don't trust the vaccine or don't want the vaccine. I think they're scared of the vaccine. Oh, Everybody's I, just yeah. scared. You should be scared of COVID more than you're scared of a vaccine. And you should right? be scared of getting loaded way more than scared of getting COVID. Of any of it. You should be scared yeah. of being loaded more than any of it. I have this healthy, like, friend who's like a surfer dude who's always eaten organic and never gotten shots or anything like that. And he's a school teacher. And he's yep. like, oh, you know, teachers. I'll get it, but I really don't want to get it, you know. But he'll well, he's get gonna it. Get it. Mean? He's going to get it. Like, yeah. there's no doubt about it. So even because, there, even if you have that conviction, all you've had that conviction all your life, you can get this vaccine. <laughs> 30 million people have already gotten it. The question is, how long do their antibodies last? And there's all this different data. Some people, their antibodies have stayed the whole time, you know, because they've only been measuring it since like April. Uh -huh. And they just did a study that ended in the fall. And the people had full antibodies six months later, right? Other people who had had COVID 
And it doesn't seem to matter whether you had it really bad or you didn't have any symptoms at all. Some people's uh, immunity goes away in like 90 days. Like, mm. so every, so how do you know which one you are? How do you know which one that you're just going to have? So you're betting that when you're saying, I'm not going to get the vaccine, I'll just get the illness eventually. I don't want to get it. But that, what, what that friend of yours said, how do you know you're not the one that's going to get it really bad and not have taste and smell and have mental health issues and be sick for months? How do you know you're not going to be the one who gets pneumonia and is on a ventilator and dies? How do you mm -hmm. know you're not you're you're not going to be the one that has no is asymptomatic and 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 gets you know a great boost of antibodies and you're and you're immune to it for six months or eight months <laughs> or a year, or yeah. that you're going to get mildly sick and have moderate you know how do you know you're betting on something you don't even really understand? Here's a vaccine that's going to make sure you don't get it. I'd rather take a vaccine that says I'm not going to get it. I don't know. Just because I know how to think. I don't know. <laughs> What's funny is it's a lot of the science people. Cause like Mike was talking about a school teacher and I, I dropped off bug on Tuesday morning. They finally let him back, go back to school. And I, and I said, man, my arm's a little sore. I got the vaccine and they go, you did what? Uh, they said, why, would, why would you introduce a virus into your body? It's not and a virus. I, and, and, that and shows I didn't, how dumb I just, they are. That shows just, how dumb they are. I can't even talk to them at that point. I go, you know. But we, we have we to. Can all Chuck, do what we, we have want. to. That's, uh, your brother, that's the person who teaches your child. Oh. God. And they don't yeah. know that it's a synthetic stimulant of the immune system. It is not the virus. Uh, even if it was. Like some vaccines use, were either killed virus or modified live virus so that you can build the antibodies. Even those ones that we've all taken, you're going to be introduced to the virus anyhow. So I wasn't about to try and change their minds while I'm dropping them <laughs> off. And it's it's five to eight. But I just do, know that then these how people... do we become how do we become a more enlightened society if we don't how, kind of help get... each other, help each other with our ignorance? I'll give you an example. I'm kind of ignorant about a lot of things. And when my friends catch it and they go, that's not true, Bob, you're being ignorant. They don't use that word. They, they say, dude, dude, what are you, stupid? Like, that's not true. And that's what helps enlighten me. I'm sorry that millennials don't like their feelings hurt. But yeah, but those are friends talking to you, though. This is the guy that teaches your kid. That was the, it was the ladies that help out in the class. And one of them's... Um, old enough that she was wearing a doors jacket and so a doors she, jacket yeah and she, she with a big picture of jim morrison on it she she started in on how um her grandmother never got the flu and all this stuff and i just said you know whatever this is a, it's a new yeah, world but, you, but that's but that's not then we're not going to have a society they're gonna have to get the vi the vaccine at some point anyways because you won't be able to do anything without yeah you won't be able to have a job you'll have to have a certificate yeah, they, they will have to be vaccinated or yeah, it's like a mute able... point to even really yeah that, that's mike, what mike is right Amy brought that up earlier. She was thinking, you know, like that, that little card, your little vaccination card is going to be like with that in your ID, you can go to a show. Yeah. Whether that's right or it's wrong. That's how, that's how it's going to be. You know, Hey, um, <clears throat> I have a, it's a, it's a message from Instagram for you. She says, uh, hi, Bob. My name is Laura Bell. My husband was touched by your movie, Bob and the monster. 
His name was Mitch Bell, a.k.a. Marvelous Mitch Ryder. He was an independent wrestler. After 14 months of sobriety, he relapsed and died on August 1st. I wish I would have found your podcast sooner. It had only been six days since he had been to a meeting and three since he had talked to his sponsor. I didn't see it coming. You are an inspiration. Keep up the good work. Wow, that's so sad. Just August. Mm. That's like five months ago. Ah. See that? Uh, what can you do? Well, she sounds so strong. What? Oh, geez, many Christmas. I, I I wrote her back. How, that that is an extremely healthy person. That's I mean that to be able to talk about it and to be able to say, hey, this is what happens. That's a, you're right. That woman has been through it. Yeah, she's strong. So so, anyways, that's become my mission is to get the message out. Like people are dying. And so many people of all ages th- and all creeds, all, all like mostly young, like you know, yeah. But like Marty was sixty-two, yeah. Old and young are dying. Old it's and crazy. Young. And just- you know, I, 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 this kind of acquaintance of mine's kid died the other day, and I was just like, I was trying to remember whether I've talked to him or not, and I think I had through this other mutual friend like a couple years ago and i just started to think like chuck think of all the people we've talked to that are dead yeah that's that's a bummer it's really it's so sad you can't vote you know it's every once in a while that happens where i'll just get it in me where i just want to start making a list because i'm like afraid i'll forget and then one person reminds me of another person reminds and the list is just so annoyingly long especially when it, it, we can't avoid this. We do have a way out of this. You know, it, it doesn't, it's not absolutely not necessary. If you just go to meetings, hang out with people that you, that you trust, don't use no matter what, it'll be different tomorrow. Just make it through today. All the kind of tips that we all that are sober use. Yeah. And these people don't do it. Just like not wearing the mask. It's exactly yeah. the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's very simple stuff. Uh, it, well, you know what it is for us. But anybody that's sitting in a treatment center right now, they've got that. They've had that lucid interval or whatever. They've had the, they've had the moment of clarity. They're sitting in rehab. It's a decision to get loaded again. All we got to do is uh, do what do what's suggested. And even if that's just going to groups, like you were saying, even if you don't want to get a sponsor, I don't care if you get a sponsor. Just hang out with sober people cool people that you like see now i you know i don't like half the sober people so i i i had to make an even i had to make an asterisk next to that like i hang out with people that that i trust and like like i and once i started doing that and i'm and not it didn't happen immediately that i stayed sober but i started i started really understanding that i could be sober Cause this is not that bad. And I can mm-hmm. give you examples when I would be in a, one of these more street level rehabs and you go on a, you know, you go on a pass to a meeting with some bro that's going to enlighten you to the fucking warriors and you go on a <laughs> low rider, to a low rider, <laughs> nothing weirder than me sitting in the backseat of a low rider with a bunch of Mike Ness guys. It's, I'm, the, I'm the odd man out. 
Mike Ness guys. <laughs> All right, I'm going to end with one that's on a really good note here, and it's from Christy Nicole Gillespie. She's a hairstylist in Calabasas at the, some salon there. And uh, she says, hi, Bob. I don't know if uh, I'm sending you the correct email to you, but I was a client at Los Encinas in October 2005 and would come to aftercare for a long time. You really helped me. I save, yeah, I remember her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really I know who this saved is. saved my life. You would, you would say, Christy, the jig is up and call me on my shit. I have a beautiful <laughs> eight-year-old eight son now. Oh, my God. How awesome. Never went back to what you all helped me save my life from. It will be 15 years in October. I do feel concerned about other issues, but I don't feel they are best for me. I would love to talk to you and get some advice. Uh, sending you much love to you and your family. That's so awesome. Yeah, that's the, that's the yin and the yang of it, right? And what's interesting is you have that and you're happy and it's, you know, it's so cool to be a part of something like that, but it doesn't outweigh the death. It doesn't. So I started thinking about this kid that died the other day and whether I think I did talk to him. I've talked to so many thousands of people, but I'm pretty sure I did through this other person she said, will you talk to this guy, this kid, it's so-and-so's son. And I said, Oh, okay. And I think I talked to him and, and what I remember is, and this happens a lot, Chuck, and I don't know if you go through this. There's just so many treatment centers and there's so many con artists all trying to glob onto these rich kids that I tend to shy away from it. And I was like, he's like, oh, I'm, uh, you know, I'm supposed to go to this place. And da, da, da. I was like, oh, okay, good. Just go there. You know what I mean? And, uh, and I've had that with this. Uh, and that made me think of this other kid that's exactly like him that died last year that I talked to the grandmother like for hours trying to, you know, help her understand what was going on. And, and she just, she just couldn't, you know, she just couldn't really understand why the kid was doing what he was doing after being to all these treatment centers. And I said, I went to 24 treatment centers. How many, the treatment doesn't really stick. It's just this cumulative effect. And she kept seeing that he's been to 10 rehabs and he's failed every time. And like, what is, what is the point and why, why it's either it's his fault or it's the rehab center's fault. And I said, it's nobody's fault. It's not the rehab's fault and it's not his fault. It just takes what it takes. And it was so hard to get through to her that simple point, because it, you know, a lot of things about addiction don't make any sense. And I, I really, I do think about these young people a lot. Like they're not, they're not gonna, they're not gonna get arrested. They're not gonna, you know, get, get their car impounded. They're not gonna, you know, get their first apartment sober and lock the door and sit behind the door. Like when I got my first apartment sober, once I finally got sober, when I got the, you know, like I was talking to the landlord and he was in AA and it was just like this long talk and two other AA guys were there that pedal steel guy, Jordan was there. Remember that guy, Mike, that played yeah. pedal steel. Yeah. He was there. He was friends with the landlord of the building. He was there and they're nice and they're in AA and they're helping me out. But I just couldn't wait to get them out of the fucking apartment. <laughs> so I could <laughs> shut the door. And it was the first time I'd had my own place, Chuck, in like three years, four, three or four years, my own place. Right. 
-hmm. It was just such a feeling. And these kids are never going to feel that. And some of them have never felt that. Right. Yeah. And for the old lady, you've you've been doing this a long time. And I know that when I, the first job I had in uh, recovery in an earlier sobriety in 1986, people would call all the time and ask what our success rate was. You know, and, and, and it did say, please tell them that we don't have because Chick Shadle had that success rate thing going on. And the idea that you just drop your, the idea that rehab is a fix all or that or that treatment is going to end all the problems. I couldn't agree more. I hadn't thought of it as a cumulative effect, but it is. You're gathering it's information. A, yeah, you gather all these different, ten, all these. I learned so many things at all the different treatment centers. Like, mm-hmm. You know, most of the solid founded scientific stuff that I started to believe in, I learned at Hazelden the first time I was there. They're pretty thorough with getting you to understand how your brain works and what addiction is. And like I knew it in the 80s, but that wasn't enough for me to stop taking drugs. And I had to go into the you know, kind of the psych social component of it, which is, you know, and, and you can tell. Here's the thing of how my sobriety finally crystallized. My arguments, right? My arguments going into Hazelden were, listen, there's nothing wrong with drinking. I just want to learn how to live without heroin. And they were like, that's not how it works. And they showed me how the brain works. And I, and I, so I understood the brain component of it, but I was sure that me, the magnificent Bob, the songwriter, singer of Thelonious Monster was going to be able to figure out a way to drink and not do heroin, right? Then I didn't figure it out. Then I went back, Chuck. Guess what I decided? <laughs> Guess what I decided? <laughs> that you had I would, an epiphany. <laughs> that I had an epiphany that I would stop everything and then slowly integrate only smoking heroin. That was my plan when I was in the rehab. Good plan. Executed it perfectly. <laughs> okay, and... Well, that's the, that's the era that Thelonious Monster kind of blows up, 89, 90, that I was not drinking because I, had, I knew that drinking was ruining the band, ruining my life, playing live. You know, I, you know, there's a little vanity involved when you're 28, 29. You just, you know, I just felt, you know, alcohol's gross. And so I slowly integrated, slowly meaning like over a seven hour period of time, mm-hmm. <laughs> heroin addiction, but only smoking it. Right. Because I equated shooting it to danger and Halel had just died. And, and so I, I came up with this formula and it worked and I was able to be productive. That's when we were making stormy weather. That's when I was making that solo record. That's that period of just smoking heroin Try to stay away from as much, you know, stay away from crack most of the time and never drink. And I didn't drink for two and a half years. Wow. So then that came collapsing down. So then I had to look at like, why do I think these things? And then that, now that came to trauma, Chuck, that, that was Uh. the Gloria Scott era. I was actually in a rehab center called the Beverly Hills recovery center. And the, the tagline was putting the elite back on their feet. Oh, oh that's God. 
that should be on a shirt. Can we make shirts? Does it still exist? Can we yeah. make shirts and just own it? Yeah, no, let's make yeah. like don't a cool die. shirt. Put, don't die putting the elite back on their feet. <laughs> <laughs> the doctor himself died of a drug overdose. The guy that ran the hospital. It was like, a, oh no. Yeah, yeah. That is a so, great slogan, man. Putting the elite back on their feet. And that was the cream delic. That was That's the, so funny. That was one of the greatest treatment centers. The staff there was the best. It was like Gloria Scott, Buddy Arnold, Paul Williams, the you know the little songwriter guy? He was yeah. the counselor there. He was Are we supposed to there. say that? Am I gonna have to take this out now? No, you can be a counselor, can't you? You don't have to say he was something else. But anyways, <laughs> they were just the greatest, and they kept saying, "You're so fucked up. This comes <laughs> from somewhere." <laughs> you know what and I mean? They noticed. That, <laughs> I really hadn't noticed how fucked up I was till like then, like in 1990. I think I started realizing, like, yeah. Paul you know, and I remember it. when when they were all saying, "You're so fucked up." Don't you ever wonder why that is? And I was like, I I've, I've been hearing this repeatedly that I'm such an <laughs> asshole or I'm so fucked up. <laughs> I am a tad curious about why that is. <laughs> oh my god! Oh no! And then, and then that's when I started understanding family dysfunction and my, you know, all that kind of stuff. That you, but the, still, that wasn't the all of it. To understand trauma, which Gloria helped me a lot to understand it over the years. Still didn't, still didn't, still wasn't the thing. So now I knew the medical component. I knew the behavioral component, social behavioral. And now I knew the trauma component. Still, I didn't stay sober. (laughs) Right? And the final one was humility, personality, perception. Um, That, that was the final frontier and you have to be humbled and i used to ask gloria i'd cry and say what is wrong with me and she said i just think you know people like us she always said that i was like her which was so cool because i wanted to be like her right and she said people like us bob we have to seems like we have to suffer to the level of our arrogance Ooh, how great a line is that yeah, that is great. And because I would point out people like my friend Eric or other people that had gotten sober first time or second time or whatever and been sober for years. Like, what is the difference between, you know, why is he sober and I can't be sober? And she just said one night, well, to the degree of our arrogance will do be to the degree of our suffering till we become teachable. Wow, that's funny, man. That's rad. That's was, the truth. I was talking to a spot, my one of my sponsees just just today and he was asking about the seventh step and i was telling him that that is the step where you learn that humility is not anything to be ashamed of you know that's that's where the rubber hits the road on the seventh well i mean i think it's not to be ashamed of it's like it's seen in our society in our society humility especially even more so now completely misunderstood it's humility is weakness yep that's how it's perceived in our society. If you're a humble, like I, I hear it said all the time, you know, like, I, I guess I hear it said all the time about me from other recovery owners. 
They say, man, if I had your Rolodex, I'd be a, I'd have a hundred million dollars. And so, and so that, you know what I mean? And I'm like, what is it? The first time I heard that, I was like, they just have no idea of like my value system or what's important to me. And they're trying to project their value system onto me. Like I'm bummed out of the position in life I'm in. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not, I'm not. And, and, and humility is part of that. Like, you know, I find it hard to be sincere and then just be worried about how much money somebody's paying to get into a rehab. It's almost, that's impossible to do. <laughs> not for some folks, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's why we're not rich in recovery. You know what I mean? That's that's why we don't have great big houses on the hill looking down on the common folk. But isn't it something to do with humility? I, or I, stupidity? I, Which one? And, Tell uh, me the truth, Chuck. Is it stupidity or humility? Tell me. I, I don't think we're just not willing to sacrifice people for personal gain anymore. And I get myself into these like jackpots all the time where I'm helping somebody and they want to go to Aloe and I'm just like, oh, well, I don't know, you know, and I don't want to talk about money and I don't want to say you probably your insurance probably doesn't work there or whatever, you know, like it's just this weird thing. And the people that are telling me these things that I don't make enough money or I should have made a lot of money or whatever. They are, yeah, you're right. They have no problem with that. They talk about the money before they even make the phone call back to the person. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right, I, just right. like, I just like talking to addicts. And most of the time it's like Christy or like other people. Like it's a little bit of help that you offer in, in kindness and in, in kind of a paying, paying it forward to what people have done for you. And it's really not that big a deal. And it's fun to talk to people. I mean, Patrick talked on here. I just, one night, I probably helped the most people when I, there was this period of my life for four years where I didn't really, I wasn't in a relationship and I lived by myself. And so if my phone rang, I kind of got excited and I would answer it and just talk to whoever called (laughs) for like an hour. (laughs) I remember I talked to this guy in Philadelphia for like two hours and like he claims that it was so, so helpful to him and that some stranger would talk i'm kind of like i was kind of like the celeb the the reality tv show rehab general services like if you find my phone number i'm probably gonna answer and i'll talk to you for a couple hours because i have no life (laughs) (laughs) and i lived in joshua tree which was like how the fuck do you have a life out there by yourself um and i really did i would answer my phone and just talk to people and i like doing that i still like doing that but the, the money component is there I, I you know it's always been a really strange kind of pollution of it to me now i know i know the finances of Alabama well, cost a lot of money to be in malibu right right Costs a lot costs of money to be in Huntington Beach. It costs a lot of money to keep that stuff up and running. People don't uh, people don't get that side of it, and you know we do. Everybody does what they can. I know that you know it's funny because it's because of you that I work for Warren, right? Because I didn't know who right. he was. I um, love I love but, Warren, but I mean I'm rolling up on I mean, four years. Warren is the type years. of person when somebody mentions Warren's name, you just smile and go, "Oh, Warren Boyd." Like <laughs> I just like, got a million stories about Warren. All great ones, all funny ones, all kind of 
Just, he's, he's, he's just the greatest. He, he really a, is. You know what? No, I haven't found. See, as you, because we're talking about this, and it's just like there's so many people in so many places I worked where you work for them, and like six months in, you start seeing things different. Nine months in, it's like if they don't, if they're not as, I don't know. I just don't. I can't get into that business end where it's more about money than it is about the client. So whenever I find that, I get a little bit uh, disenchanted and I move on. So most places, it's about a year. And Warren, I'm I'm rolling up on four years, and I haven't. I don't. I don't have a problem with him on a personal level, and that's why it's easy to work for him. He's yeah, just a good I mean, guy, you know. You find that it, that's rare. I'm sure people that work for you feel the same way, but I mean, uh, it's that's not common in our in our thing. In yeah, what we but do. it always was. Just in this like ten year period of time, it hasn't been common, right? Because because even at Lost and Cenas, they they didn't grant scholarships, but they definitely, you know, if the person was if if the rehab was semi empty, and the person was semi willing, yeah, they would they would do it for like five thousand bucks. They really would. Lost and Cenas was pretty great about that. When I first started there, eventually it got bought by another hospital company and whatever. But but. You know, there was there was all kinds of of really good before the gold rush, before Obamacare, and, and understand that people don't really uh-huh, understand uh-huh. what Obamacare and the Parity Act did to the treatment industry. It it helped it in a lot of ways, obviously, but it also destroyed it in another way. Right, where everything yeah, becomes the gold rush. It was called really, yeah. Oh my Who god, called it the gold rush everybody all these outsiders that didn't even know what treatment was just saw an opportunity they saw dollar signs and they didn't know how much what the toll is on uh people how hard it is and 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 what you have to do to keep people safe and to actually foster you know sobriety and to work to do treatment it's not as easy as people thought and that's why we had so many scandals and so many things going sideways oh that was whenever when they were kicking people out and giving them money to get high and then coming back in yeah there was a million scams but for the most part it was just so people can know we're now post gold rush so everybody that has a treatment center is for the most part is they're they're doing it for most of the right reasons including myself i would say and that's what you said years ago when we started this thing you had that very same thing you said that this was going to end with people with the bad actors being That's, thrown yeah, out. Yeah, they all they all left. Chuck, how quick this whole How thing. quick did they leave, Chuck? Oh, so they, quick. They, they 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 closed doors and they're they're still closing <laughs> doors. That's what's that's I, I what's fantastic. It. When I was working down in Orange County in Temecula, I noticed it because it started to happen then. And I would bump into people like at a like at seven eleven there in Costa Mesa on that street where all the rehabs are. you know the I forget the name I forget the name of the street. But all the rehabs are on. It's a street that turns in a corner and then goes back on the freeway. What is that street in Costa Mesa? There's like six rehab centers on it. I'm at the seven <laughs> eleven. I'm at the seven eleven one day, and this guy that I know that has like a Florida model rehab comes up to me and goes, "Hey, Bob, Bob, are you doing so and so? We are doing a rehab with this guy. I was doing the rehab with." And I said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." And uh, and he goes, "Will you? Do you guys want like thirteen clients?" 
close. Up. <laughs> oh my God. And he goes, yeah, we're closing up and we're trying to find placement for him. And I think you're just starting out. Right. And I said, Oh, okay, well, let's talk about it. And of course, they were 13 <laughs> clients that had no insurance. Just, you know, all you could do is OP and drug test them. Right. But we took like half of them. Like, yeah, okay. I was just at a Seven Eleven getting iced coffee, and this guy gave me thirteen. <laughs> he wanted to give me thirteen clients. That's somebody getting asking. out of the business. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like somebody asking you for change outside of it. <laughs> but you know, and the idea that how could that possibly be in the best interest of any client to be oh, traded? Well, you know, I will- I'm glad we're on the upswing. I think it was good for those clients to end up with me instead of that flophouse. <laughs> yep. <laughs> see, God works in mysterious ways, Chuck. And we'll see you next week, everybody. <laughs> bye. See you later, guys. Bye-bye. <laughs> hey, this is Bob, and you can get a hold of Aloe Treatment Centers at 888-595-0235. That's Aloe Treatment Centers in Malibu and Silver Lake. 888-595-0235. Tell them Bob told you to call. <laughs>